You're listening to the Life with Old Dogs podcast, and I'm your host, Dawn Mimnaw, primary caretaker of all of our wonderful senior German Shepherds right here at Woody's Place Senior German Shepherd Sanctuary. Hey there, and welcome back to the Life with Old Dogs podcast. Um, A few days ago on social media, I had put a poll up on our Instagram and Facebook account asking you to share your experience if you adopted a dog from a rescue. And I'm pleased to say that a whopping 69.1% of you had a positive experience adopting your fur friend from a rescue. So that that just makes my heart swell. It really does. Um, <clears throat> because finding an animal, finding a dog who doesn't have a place to call home and a family to call their own and taking them into a rescue, giving them what they need, whether it be medical care or behavioral training or just time to find that perfect home and family, and then seeing them go on to live a very fulfilling life is what it's all about. Um, So I'm so glad that a majority of you have had a positive experience and hopefully will do it again if in the future you're looking for another fur friend. Okay. Um, That being said, there were obviously different points of view. Uh, I asked for you, let's see, I believe it was um, comment A, if you had a positive experience, B, if you had a negative experience, C, if you had a neutral experience, and D, if you had a mixed, you know, mixed experience. Maybe it wasn't so great. It wasn't so Wonderful, but it wasn't so bad either. Um, All right, so 69.1% had a positive experience. Yay! (laughs) 20.2 of you had a negative experience. 6.4 had a neutral experience. And 4.3 had a mixed experience. Um, So... All right, so what I'm going to cover today is touching base on the, it's primarily the 20%. Yeah, it's the rest. It's all the rest. If you're not in the six, 69.1% cat- category that had a positive experience, this is kind of in regard to negative, neutral, and mixed. And why you, I, I obviously, I don't know your experience, although some of you did list your experiences, even though I had asked not to name names of rescues or get into details. Um, I've been in rescue for 20 years now, and I've seen and I've heard quite a bit. Um, And from being on both sides of the fence, being on the adopter side of the fence and being the um, adoptee side of the fence, um, you know, I can see things from a different point of view. Uh, than maybe somebody who just happens to be the person um, who's adopting adopting the dog. All right, so 
this this is there's two parts to this podcast, but the first one is um, in regard to factors that may hinder a rescue's uh, ability to find a home for dogs in their care because you see it all the time, um, and you know primarily the biggest one is there is not enough. Uh, there's just not enough people looking to adopt, and there's way, way, way too many dogs that need a home. So that is that is that's the biggest factor right there. But there are others that you know can fall back on the rescue, um, and there might be reasons why they're not as successful as other rescues in adopting dogs in their care. Um, and I am not throwing any rescue under the bus. I look at other rescues as my colleagues, and I try to be as supportive as possible. Um, that being said, I, you know, have have seen some things <laughs> over the years and the decades that, uh, you know, make me kind of wonder, um, maybe, just maybe, if things were done a little bit differently, more dogs in the rescue's care would be finding those those perfect homes. So <clears throat> I'm just going to get right into it. And again, no judgment here, none whatsoever. It's just an observation, and I'm sharing that observation with you because this may have been part of the reason why you didn't have such a great experience in the adoption process. All right. Um, first and foremost, there is not one rescue that I am aware of, not one, that isn't struggling financially. Um, most, you know, of course we have larger rescues. And let me just make one thing clear. I'm not, I'm not talking about the SPCA or the Humane Society. I'm talking about dog rescues. Um, most of the time they're run out of somebody's home and they're foster based and, you know, occasionally there may be some sort of a building, but it's typically on somebody's you know personal property. Um, the, when I'm talking about rescues, that's what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> funding is extremely, extremely difficult to keep a rescue going. Um, there is only so much donation money. There's so many, so many grants. Um, bequestments, you know, other ways that donations come in, fundraiser events, and every rescue is vying for the same small pool of donation money. So when you don't have sufficient, when you're a rescue and you don't have sufficient resources, that is constantly on your mind. It's so stressing. I know from from my experience with Woody's Place over the years, it is a nail biter. It will keep you up at night. You're looking at all of these dogs, depending on you to take care of them. You you know see all the dogs out there that need homes. Everyone and their mother in laws tagging you to a dog from here to Kingdom Come, and it is traumatizing. It really is and can be traumatizing to be that person running a rescue, just wondering, how am I going to keep this afloat? How am I going to keep everybody safe? How am I going to keep everybody fed? So when you're coming from from a mindset like that, where you're, you're 
you know, you're you're just struggling. You're just struggling. Uh, there's hardly any resources. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You're not in a position of power, and that you're you're in crisis mode, and that that is just. Yeah, like I said, that can be overwhelming and traumatizing and, you know, you personally may not come off in a very positive light because you're, you're, you constantly have this burden, this monkey on your back, uh, in addition to everything else that you're doing, um, which most people I know who, who operate a rescue do a large majority of the work themselves and um, that's another that's another topic, but we'll get into that. So insufficient resources uh, is definitely um, a hindrance for a rescue when trying to find successful homes for a dog. And the reason for that is, again, you, you just may be so preoccupied with where you're going to find money to keep things going that you don't really network as well as you should to place dogs in your care. Um that this next one kind of goes hand in hand with that, and that is uh, overcrowding and limited space within the rescue, making it difficult to properly care for and showcase dogs available. Again, kind of goes hand in hand with insufficient resources, but overcrowding is a tough one. Um, when you have, let's just say you're a rescue and you're running it out of your home and your home is only 1,100 square feet and you have 10 dogs in your care and then you you know, you, for whatever the reason, decide, oh my gosh, I, I have to take this other dog and lo and behold, this other dog is pregnant and she gives birth to 13 puppies. And now you're, the dogs in your care, the population just doubled, you know, within a matter of months. Um, oftentimes you're so busy in the trenches trying to take care of all of these dogs that you, you know, you don't have time to get the dogs cleaned up and take them to fundraiser events and rescue um, adopt me events or get their you know great pictures taken and put them on pet pet finder or um, you know adopt a pet or whatever the case may be so overcrowding is definitely a hindrance when it comes to finding dogs in your care a, a good home and the next next one is in a poorly maintained or unattractive, uh, rescue environment. Uh, so you have insufficient funds, you have overcrowded and limited space, then it's really hard to keep things clean and tidy and smelling fresh, um, especially if you're you're doing this mostly by yourself again, which I know quite a few rescuers end up doing most of the work themselves. Um then you have somebody who comes in and they may want to adopt a dog and they come to your place to see the dog. And, uh, you know, I'm not kidding when I say that I have been in some rescue environments that as soon as you open the door to go inside, it just smells awful. It smells so bad. And that's such a turnoff for someone who may be looking to adopt their next fur friend. Um, their first thought may be, oh my gosh, these dogs aren't they're not housebroken. I don't want a dog who's not housebroken. Well, that might not be the case. Maybe they are housebroken, but they've held it for so long that they just haven't been able to get outside and relieve themselves. Or maybe it's not the dog you're looking to adopt at all. Maybe there is another dog who's not um, housebroken, but it's not it's not the one that you're looking to adopt. So, um, <clears throat> and again, I, I'm not making excuses for a dirty environment 
when it comes to um, running a rescue. There really is no reason to have a dirty environment, but I've been there. I've been there, you know, when I've had eight German shepherds in my care at once and volunteers that I thought I could depend on don't show up that day. And um, somebody's had diarrhea and, you know, I have another dog that's got to get in and out of a wheelchair and, you know, still six others that need need to be tended to. I mean, it can get really rough and dicey, um, <clears throat> but still that that may hinder the rescue's ability to find good homes for dogs in their care. Now, I just mentioned uh, volunteers. And basically, I've just painted a picture of someone running a rescue. And typically, it's women who, who run dog rescues. And I just painted a picture of her pretty much doing it by herself. And the reason I did that is because I see it time and time again. Um, there are rescues out there that are super, super fortunate to have volunteers and volunteers come on and they've been there for years and even decades and know all the ins and outs of the organization. Um, and that is fantastic. Um, you know, there are others who have, um, volunteers that eh, kind of ebbs and flows. And that's what happens with Woody's place. It ebbs and it flows, um, there are certain times of year where there are more volunteers, and then during the winter months, it really tapers off because it, it can be really dicey here in this area. Driving, you know, we're in a rural area, we're in the Pocono Mountains. Somebody who lives a half hour away and wants to volunteer, it may be snowing where they are, even though it's not here, and then they they can't come out that day. And then I I've just learned over the years that I need to know I need to be able to do everything myself. Because I, I can't always rely on volunteers for one reason or another. And I, I know plenty of other women who run animal rescues that say the exact same thing. Um, so finding reliable and knowledgeable volunteers is really, really hard. But it's imperative. It's imperative to make the rescue run smoothly and to have uh, <clears throat> a better chance for the dogs within the rescue to find their forever home. Now, when I say knowledgeable, what does that mean? Well, obviously, reliable is just what it says. Uh, I mean, I've done applications for volunteers literally for 20 years now, and there have been times where people would like to come on board to volunteer. They fill out the application. It's a great application. I can't wait for them to get started. I include them in emails back and forth, and I never hear a peep out of them. And oftentimes, you know, when something like that comes up, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but there are times that somebody is really just using that as maybe like a resume fluff piece. Oh, uh, yeah, I volunteer at this rescue organization, and isn't that wonderful? And technically, they are a volunteer, but they they've never they've never actually been a part of a project or or you know walked a dog once. So it's kind of mind blowing and a waste of time that people do things like that. But it does happen. So you need reliable, <clears throat> reliable volunteers to to run a rescue successfully and to get dogs within that rescue adopted to great homes. Knowledgeable volunteers. If you get volunteers and you're lucky enough for them to, you know, stay on board and you can maintain uh, volunteers, 
um, you really need to have knowledgeable volunteers. So you can train them, and that's fantastic, and hopefully they stay, or you train them, and then for whatever the reason they, they leave and you end up wasting your time. Um, but they need to be knowledgeable of the organization and the dogs within that organization. This way, when you're at rescue um, events, adopt you know adopt a pet event, they're knowledgeable of that dog, um, not just how to handle the dog, but also particulars about that dog <clears throat> and the organization because they are representatives of the rescue itself. So reliable, knowledgeable volunteers. Uh, and that's you know that that's kind of it's kind of challenging, especially when you're in a rural area like we are. Um, okay, uh, staying on track with the volunteers, um, because volunteers ebb and flow, burnout, volunteer burnout, and rescue rescuer burnout is a big thing. Uh, it seems to be the same people over and over and over again doing all facets of the rescue, and <clears throat> eventually they get burned out. Um, and I and I I see this, and I've been I've actually been a participant in this where I've been neurologically, emotionally, and neurologically um, dysregulated. So you know how does how does a rescuer or a volunteer get to that point? Well. You know, when you're you're coming uh, from crisis mode, it, you're in crisis mode quite a bit or in the trenches quite a bit, um, there's a lot of discomfort because there's a lot of uncertainty. And then when you, you experience discomfort for a, a, a certain amount of time, then you're distressed. And then when you've experienced you've been distressed for so long, nothing's changing. Okay. You, you may be able to get do uh, dogs adopted out, but you know, other dogs just keep coming in. There's not enough money. There's not enough help. You know, there's not enough hours in the day. Then you become dysregulated. <clears throat> and that is not a fun place to be in any aspect of your life, Ex but especially something that you're volunteering for. So then people leave. They don't, they, they just, they just can't. They just can't bring themselves to volunteer anymore for an organization where they're constantly, you know, in discomfort and then distress. And again, there is a lot of that in the rescue world. Uh, so burnout's a big one. <clears throat> Another aspect of volunteers that may hinder a rescue's ability to find dogs uh, in their care a good home um, is unstable and 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 overbearing volunteers. Um, you may have had an experience with an unstable or an overbearing volunteer or rescuer. Uh, I certainly have. Um, so I feel like the rescue world, I've noticed it attracts a certain mindset. And it's always the helper. It's it's always somebody who's a helper or a, a caregiver by nature, which is a beautiful thing. It really is. But I think, and this is my, my counselor background. <laughs> I used to be a substance abuse counselor. I have two degrees in human services and human development. So I, I used to be a substance abuse counselor in another life. Uh, I feel 
that when people are drawn to the caregiver profession, which which animal rescue is a, a caregiving profession, even if you're a volunteer, there's a certain reason for that. There's something that has drawn an individual to that. And it, I think in some instances, it's because there's something broken in their life that that is just not um, they haven't healed it. They haven't they haven't done enough work on themselves to to um, resolve whatever that is in their life. And so they decide to help others as a way to make themselves feel better about their situation. And again, that could be a great way to go. Uh, I mean, there's people that have depression and anxiety and working with dogs is a is great experiential therapy for them. People with PTSD, and that's what Woody's Place is looking to do at this point. Um, it's it's great therapy, but it has to be done. Um, it has to be done properly. It has to be done uh, under the guidance of a professional. But I've noticed that with some volunteers, there there are unstable volunteers who bring a lot of baggage to the volunteer experience, and it can be disruptive for the other volunteers and the rescue organization as a whole. Um, <clears throat> just uh, for instance here, um, we had a volunteer here. Well, we've had two now that actually are coming to mind that they had so many uh, problems that they were bringing into their volunteer experience that I suggested they get therapy and they seek help and that, you know, one of them I really didn't want back here. Um, I was very nice and I was very professional, but it was actually downright scary, to be honest with you. Um, and you know, we just had to let that one fizzle out. Um, we want to make sure everybody's okay, obviously, but when a volunteer comes in to help, let's say walk a dog or bathe dogs or just, you know, help, help train dogs or whatever, well, that's what they're here for. Um, and it shouldn't then turn into a three to five hour sit down session because, you know, their life is just melting down around them. That's, and it does happen. It really does. Um, and then you have overbearing volunteers. Uh, and they mean well. They really do. But they can come off as just just that, overbearing. And there's, there's a term. It's derogatory, actually. It's called uh, – the term is humaniac. And uh, basically, it's an animal rescuer who's too extreme – in their thinking, and that their way is the only way, and others who have experiences with dogs couldn't possibly know or do better than them. And basically, no one else will care for the animals the way that they do. Um, therefore, they shoot most adopters, even highly qualified adopters, down and get in over their heads with the dogs in their care because they continue to take dogs without properly divesting dogs already in their care. And you, you may know people like that. I mean, 
I, I know PETA sometimes gets a bad rap for that. But I, I, there's a whole other side to that. Because, again, most rescuers and volunteers have such huge hearts and they just want to help. And it's important to acknowledge that many dog rescuers and volunteers have seen the worst of humanity, often having to rescue dogs from neglect, abuse, and trauma. I mean, it is. It literally is traumatizing. I'm not even kidding you. I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've done it now for 20 years and, and, you know, the day that I just don't feel anything anymore is the day that I'm just going to have to quit, I guess. Um, so the exposure can, that kind of exposure constantly can result in, uh, you know, an understandable protective nature toward the dogs they care for. And when potential adopters are perceived not to not meeting high expectations for dog care, for the dog care, it can trigger like a, de- a defense almost and sometimes cause the rescuer or volunteer um, to exhibit confrontational behavior. Um, additionally, the emotional investment and, and and it is, there's, you know, besides financial and physical, there is an emotional investment that all dog rescuers and volunteers put into each dog's well-being. And that may lead to some rescuers and volunteers to argue fervently with potential adopters who they believe don't fully comprehend what it really means to be responsible for for a dog. You know, and I'm just I'm just going to give you an example of that right there. So years back, years back, I had um, we had like a five year old male German Shepherd that needed placement, and he obviously wasn't going to become a sanctuary dog because you know he didn't fit the 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 uh, the program here that we have for Woody's Place dogs. I mean, they have to be at least eight years old. And but I I agreed to help these people find this dog a home. Actually, it was another rescue, and I did. And I, I found this great family. Excuse me. They had experiences with you know German shepherds. They owned their own home. They both worked, but not ridiculous hours. And you know their their son was a good son, and it just was a perfect fit for this this dog that we were trying to find placement for. So I, I approved their application after going over it with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, I did their home check. Everything was ducky. They took possession of the dog. They were in touch for a while. And then, you know, life goes on. And um, I want to say it was probably like about seven or eight months into it, I get information that these people got rid of the dog. Never mind the fact that they signed an adoption contract with me in in the uh, contract stating that if it didn't work out that they were to return the dog to Woody's place. Never mind that. <laughs> they put the dog on Craigslist, free to good home, and somebody came in and they got the dog. So I was absolutely livid. Now, again, these were great applicants, right? Um, there was a change in lifestyle. I, I don't know. Somebody was working different shift and basically someone then was working all day and, 
you know, someone was working all night and they were working really long hours and the dog spent all this time in a bedroom behind the closed doors and it was rarely ever outside and they weren't walking it and it was becoming destructive and then the man was, you know, hitting the dog and it was a long story. It was a long story and just totally shocking, totally shocking to me, you know, because these people had put on, they just seemed like the perfect family. So I found the dog. I, I found out who they gave the dog to on Craigslist, um, you know, took possession of the dog, went through the whole vetting process. The people that actually ended up with the dog from Craigslist were d- just dumbfounded. They were shocked. They had no idea. They just thought, you know, here are these people getting rid of this dog and we want it. And they turned out to be uh, good people and um, adopted the dog in the, the proper fashion. But, you know, my whole point to that is, You don't want to walk around as a rescuer or volunteer. You don't want to walk around having negative thoughts or perceiving people in a negative light. You don't want to. But when you've seen so much go down, it's hard to to trust. It it really is. So that can lead to volunteers and even dog rescuers becoming overbearing. And like I said, you may have had experiences that they're the ones that are like word vomiting all over you, not letting you get a word in edgewise. They're talking at you. You know, you you may try to offer what experience you have and they're just, you know, it's not good enough. It's never good enough. So um, so obviously that is going to hinder a rescue's um, ability to find dogs in their care a good home because basically they're just chasing everyone away who's coming forward to to adopt to adopt a dog. And I, I just wanted to share all that information with you because if you've been in that situation, I just want to try to give you a behind the scenes look as to why someone may get to that point, why a rescuer or a volunteer may get to that point. Um, I'm not saying that behavior like that is right because it's certainly not right. All I'm saying is that I can see how it happens. <laughs> and hopefully after hearing that, maybe you can too. All right. Um, another factor that may hinder a dog's uh, rescue's uh, ability to find dogs a good home is their adoption process. Uh, and policies. They may be inconsistent, unclear, or the big one, unrealistic. Um, You know, this is another one. Hey, if if Woody's Place, not that we we don't really adopt out anymore, but there are still times that we help adopt a dog out that never comes here, and we end up finding it home and go through the whole vetting process on behalf of the person who needs to rehome their dog. So our application, our adoption application is seven pages. And I just want to say right here now, if, you know, you go to adopt a dog and their application, whether it be paper form, email form, or online, and it's only five or six questions and they call it good and adopt a dog to you, that, I'm sorry, not sorry. That is not a rescue I would want to adopt a dog from because if they're not vetting you, the potential adopter properly, do you really think they're vetting the dogs properly? And, you know, I would automatically assume if that was me, oh, they probably don't even know anything about this dog that now they're giving me and, you know, is going to end up being my problem. So the fact that applications are long 
is because and home checks. Home checks are another big one is because the rescue is doing their due diligence to make sure that the adoption leads to a suitable match for everyone, for the dog, for the person adopting, their family. Um, So I applaud any rescue who has a lengthy adoption application and insists on being a home check. And the reason for the home check is the rescue, they have to make sure you are who you say you are and you live where you live. And also, you know, there could be things about your home that maybe you're not noticing. Maybe it didn't, you know, occur to you. I mean, they're not coming in judging you. Uh, maybe some of them are. I don't know. And that might, you know, revert back to the overbearing volunteer or rescuer. But most are coming in doing their due diligence. And again, there may be things that you might not notice. Like, for instance, in, in the adoption application, they may ask if you have a fenced in yard. And that's a big one. Most rescues want their potential adopter to have a fenced in yard, especially, you know, because so many dogs, they can get away and maybe they're not, they don't have proper ID or might get out and bite somebody. Who knows? Chase, chase a kid down the street on a bike. Who who knows? But it's probably a better idea to have a fenced in yard if you're adopting a dog that you know nothing about right away. So, you know, okay, you put down, I have, I have a fenced in yard and they're like, okay, that's, that's great. And you're, you're adopting this, this beautiful three-year-old male husky. And they come to your house and they're looking at your house and everything's checking out great. And they're like, okay, want to see the fenced in backyard. And you, you sure do have a fenced in backyard, but you have a three foot fence. Well, that, you know, might be a no, that, that could, you know, be a reason why the rescue doesn't feel that adopting this three-year-old male husky is going to now be a good match for you. You live, you know, you live in a community, you got houses all over, little kids running around all over the place, other dogs, smaller dogs, cats, whatnot. I mean, it just may not be a good match after all, simply because the size of your fence. And there are people who become cantankerous over something like that, but you know, being in rescue myself, I can see why that could be a problem. But again, it it could also lead to a rescue not finding homes for their dogs if they're nitpicking. Not 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 talking about a three foot fence now. Now they're just nitpicking about different things. You have the fence; it's a great fence. It's a six foot fence. But, you know, maybe you have steps in your home and they don't want the dog on the steps or something like that when a three, you know, year old husky can plow up and down steps. So, yeah, that would that would be something that would be a little a little much. All right. um, Let's see. All right. Then you then you have the flip side of that. And I kind of touched base on it a, a minute or two ago. Then there's lack of a thorough screening process for potential adopters, which could lead to a mismatch. All right, this goes back to the rescue, possibly only asking you five or six questions, and you know maybe not not doing that home check for you and checking all of your references, or just checking personal references and not bothering with pre- uh, professional references, or checking with your vet. 
you know, they, they just they just have dogs. They have dogs in their care. They have too many dogs and they just want to get them out. And hey, you seem like a decent person. Here you go. <laughs> Checked out your Facebook page. You look great. Here you go. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it doesn't work out because the vetting wasn't done properly. And now they're at your door and they're pissed off because for whatever the reason, I don't know. And they're handing the dog back to you. Uh, and that's, you know, unfortunate for the dog because now it's a boomerang dog and it's confused and it, it doesn't understand what happened. Um, you know, maybe maybe it was a dog that um, wasn't good with cats and came into your home and you have cats and <clears throat> you said you had cats and the, you know, dog rescuer volunteers like, oh, yeah, he's good with cats when he really wasn't good with cats. And now the dog is back and, and confused and, you know, you have one more mouth to feed. So uh, lack of thorough screening process is another reason why um, a rescue may not find um, homes for their dogs. And the last one is, and it's certainly not the last one, but it's just the last on my list here, is um, limiting network networking with other rescues and um, organizations. So when you, when you are a dog rescuer, it's really important to have networking abilities with other rescuers, rescues, and at the very least, your local animal shelter. Um, Not only is it important for them to recognize you, you to recognize them, you know, you're there to help them, but they're also there to help and support you as well. Uh, You know, maybe, just maybe you, you have a dog in your care that's not working out so well for you. Um... I'm sorry, not working out, not that it's not working out well for you, but you can't find a home for, and you pick up the phone or email, you know, email's the bigger thing in rescue, and you reach out to XYZ Rescue and PDQ Rescue and uh, send this this picture of the dog and all the information about the dog and say, hey, you know, he's been in our care now for 24 months, just can't find this this great boy at home, you know, through no fault of his own, do you have maybe any potential doctors that he may be a suit for? So um, that's how it works. And and they may have. They may have the perfect adopter for that dog. So it's really important to network with other rescues. And if and if a rescuer or rescue is not networking, uh, that that could definitely limit their ability to find their dogs a good home. Um, I'm sorry, that was not the last one. (laughs) This is the last one right here. I just turned the page and realized I had one more. Um, Inadequate marketing and promoting efforts to showcase available dogs to potential adopters. So limited outreach to locals in the community, potential adopters. Um, This includes social media presence and engagement, fundraiser events, again, um, adopt me events. Um, You know, even if, even if, uh, even if it's your own, being able to create your own event and have people come to see your dogs. Um, that's another reason why. And this kind of like, it's kind of like a big vicious cycle. This could go back to just not having enough help and not having enough hours in the day. And one person's basically doing everything within the rescue. Uh, could also be, um, I've seen this a time or two as well that, uh, you know, you have some folks here in rescue. I mean, we're all getting older. Geez, I, I feel ancient some days, but you know, you have some that are, 
they're up there in years and they're all like, they don't really know how to work their smartphone or, you know, use a camera properly. And then, okay, well, now I took a good picture. It's not the best picture, but I took a picture. I don't know how to put this on Pet Finder or Facebook or I don't know how to share this with other people and text it and stuff like that. So um, if if they don't have time or that they don't have the know-how, uh, they don't have volunteers to help, well, how, how are people supposed to know that the rescue has these wonderful dogs available for adoption? So, so that, right, they are the ways right there, the factors um, that I came up with. And, and again, there are others that may hinder a rescue's uh, success in finding homes for their dogs. Okay, so that, that's all well and good. But what, what about you? So you're you're an adopter, and you 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 want to you want to adopt a dog. You're you're on the hunt. You know you're in a point in your life where you you are ready to bring a dog into your life, a lovable companion, and you know you're all excited. And so, how do you go about identifying a reputable rescue organization to help you select that perfect dog for you, your family, and your lifestyle? Um, that's a, that's a good question. And you should be asking yourself that if, if you're, you know, on the hunt to adopt your, your next fur friend. I mean, what I see is people, people just kind of, oh, you know, they decide this is what they're going to do. And they, they immediately go online. Um, you know, if they don't go to their local shelter, if they're, they're looking for like a certain breed and they want to go to like a, a breed specific rescue or whatever, and they go online and they look up like just say, let's just say German Shepherd Rescues near me or, you know, Puppy Rescues near me or some, something along those lines. And then the next thing you know, they find themselves on Pet Finder and Rescue Me and Adopt a Pet. And oh, my gosh, there it is. Oh, my gosh. The perfect dog right there for me. There it is. The picture's great. The write-up's great. But you don't ever bother to ask well, is the rescue reputable? Is this a good rescue or not? How do I know? Um, so how you know, you're never really going to know 100%, but but how you can better the odds of working with a reputable rescue organization is, number one, you need to, you need to do your due diligence. You need to be, um, you need to be a critical shopper, right? So, one way you can go about doing that is you need to research the organization. You know, research their history, research their reputation, check out their website, check out what they're doing online, look at their social media pages. Are they current? Are they doing rescue events? Uh, are there good reviews? And that that can be a slippery slope too on social media, but you you need to research the organization. Uh, call the state that you're in or that the rescue's in. See if they're registered. Contact them. Ask them if they have a kennel license. Ask them if they have insurance. Ask them how long they've been in operation for. I mean, a rescue should want to tell you these things. You know, first you say, "Hey, listen, I'm interested in adopting, but I want to know these things first. I wouldn't be upset. If somebody wanted to know those things about Woody's placement, I proudly display that on our website, how long we've we've been in operation for. 
Um, See, you know, you want to look for an organization that's transparent in their operations. Um, And that includes their adoption process, their fees, and their animal care policies. You know, like, let's take their fees, for instance. What is included in the fee? You want to know what's included in that fee. If, uh, you know, let's say you're adopting a puppy from a rescue and they're too young to be spayed and neutered or neutered. Uh, Is that included in the fee? When they get old enough, are they going to, is the rescue going to cover that cost? And that should be in writing in the adoption contract, what is included in the fee and what is not included in the fee. Their contract, it should be written for you to understand. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be loaded with technical jargon that you feel like you need to, you know, consult a lawyer with. You should be able to understand that. And during the adoption process, they should go over that with you or before the adoption process, they should go over that with you. Um, so you understand what it is that you're signing up for and uh, what the rescue is responsible for, right? So transparency in operations is a big one. And again, if if you come across a dog and you contact a rescue and they just don't want to go over these things, they act like they don't have time, you should probably look for another rescue. Um, check their nonprofit status. That's another one. Now, not all rescues are a nonprofit. Um, some choose not to become a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Some decide to stay private, and there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe they just don't want to deal with a board of directors. Maybe they have enough money that they're funding it themselves. I know it, I know a rescue like that, and they do a great job, a wonderful job. Now, does it limit them from getting grants and um, allowing donors to use their donation as a tax write-off? 100%. But that doesn't make them a bad rescue. They're a great rescue. And they're licensed. They have a kennel license and insurance, and the facility is very, very clean it's attached to the person's home. They they do a wonderful job. So there's nothing really wrong with a rescue being private. Another thing is maybe they don't have funds to become a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It does take money. It's a couple thousand dollars. So maybe, at least here it is. So maybe that's why. Uh, so don't let the fact they're not a nonprofit um, stop you from adopting from them or saying, oh, they're not a good rescue because they're not. But it certainly does help if they are a nonprofit entity. Um, and the reason for that is, is well, there's, there's several reasons. But the big one is because it indicates a commitment to the welfare of the dogs rather than a profit. All right. Um, and again, I touched about the adoption process. Uh, you can identify a reputable rescue um, because they have a thorough adoption process that includes background checks, uh, home visits, and maybe even counseling to ensure that the dog you're adopting is the best match for you. And when I say counseling, again, I'm not getting back to the overbearing dog rescuer or volunteer. I'm not talking about somebody word vomiting and belittling and all that stuff. I certainly don't mean that. But, uh, you know, just sort of chatting like, hey, uh, so so 
what type of food do you do you plan on feeding your dog? Um, do you have a preference? And you know, they may say a dog food that they used for a dog that they had so many years ago, and now there's newer food available, better food, higher quality food. Or if they're adopting an older dog, you might want to educate them about supplements like green-lipped muscle. They may not know anything about the benefits of green-lipped muscle, and you're just giving them information in regard to what will make the adoption process and, and the adoption as a whole beneficial for both dog and adopter. So again, not not uh not talking to, talking with and giving helpful uh tips and advice. There's nothing wrong with that and I think rescue sh- are should be doing that. All right. Uh, another way you you know it's a reputable rescue organization is because they offer, um, not offer, they do medical care and screening. Okay, so um, that includes vaccines. I mean, at least rabies and distemper, and at least a parvo vaccine for puppies. Uh, spaying and neutering, they really have to be responsible for that. If it's not done before they leave the rescue, they should be financially responsible for that when it is time. A behavioral assessment of the animal. You want to make sure that that um, the dog, you want to make sure that you you know, you're, you're fairly sure what type of behavior you can expect from the dog you're adopting. Now, I mean, there's the three, three, three rule, right? Three days, three weeks, three months. And um, obviously the dog may not behave uh, the same way in three months that it did when it first arrived at your house because it's, you know, more comfortable, more sure of things, but the rescue is going to do the the best they can a reputable rescue will anyway. Uh, and one of the ways they do that is they, they don't have a rotating door where they're just pulling dogs in left and right and um, they only have a dog for a week or two weeks and then they're adopting it out because there's just no way that rescue knows the temperament of the dog in such a short amount of time. There was another rescue decades ago that I used to volunteer for and they had a policy in place and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic where when a dog came in, um, that dog was not allowed to be adopted out for at least a month. Really, it was like six weeks, but I believe at least a month because they wanted to really um, have a good assessment, a good behavioral assessment on on the dog. And I, I just thought that was a great idea. Uh, so anyway, yeah, you want to make sure that, um, again, the medical care and behavior screening has been done and you're fairly certain that you you know the medical um, medical level and behavioral uh, behavior of the dog that you're getting. Um, you know what? There's also it's a it's a thing now, and I really like it. This is another one I really like: the foster to adopt programs that rescues are now doing. How great are they? So basically, what it is, if you don't know what that is, basically what it is is. You find a reputable rescue and you foster the dog that you're interested in possibly adopting. And it could be like a certain amount of time. I don't really know, but maybe let's just say it's three months. I don't even know if it's three months, but let's just say it's three months. And the rescue says, okay, you can foster this dog. We will pay for everything. 
But if you want to adopt, you know, it has to be done within, you know, a certain amount of time because obviously the rescue doesn't want to, maybe doesn't have the ability to keep paying for the the dog. Um, so foster to adopt, you really get to learn what the dog is like under, you know, no real obligation. And then if it doesn't work, you decide, you know, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to adopt this dog. But if it does work, then the dog gets to stay you get to adopt and the rescue gets another dog in a wonderful home. So foster to adopt programs. If I was somebody and I was looking to adopt a dog, I would definitely hook up with a reputable rescue organization who does the foster to adopt program. Okay. And you also want to look at uh, reviews and testimonials. And again, yeah, Social media can be such a slippery slope when it comes to stuff like that. Obviously, there's people there leaving good reviews, good testimonials, but then you always get those armchair warriors that, whatever, maybe something happened and they're just making this giant deal out of it and it's their side of the story and, you know, that's it. And they're there just to slander and disparage in the whole nine yards, and it can just get really ugly. And I'm sure if you're on social media, you've seen it, and you know what I'm talking about. And, and you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Does uh, does somebody on the other end deserve that? Maybe. I have no idea. But I'd be willing to bet that a large majority don't. For instance, um, and I, I have not named any names throughout this podcast, and I refuse to. <laughs> um. I have a friend who has a magnificent rescue, a colleague, I should say, magnificent rescue, been around for decades. This person is a pillar in society, oodles of integrity, tons of know-how when it comes to the particular breed that they serve, extremely well-connected, very level-headed, runs just a tip-top operation. But if you go and you look up this particular organization online, you will see some bad reviews. First of all, there's a lot of reviews. There's a whole lot of reviews, right? And that's a great thing. And most of them are fantastic. But of course, there are some bad reviews. I mean, you got to take you got to take the good with the bad no matter what. And I've read through some of those reviews and just knowing this person like I know this person and this organization, there's just no way, no way that's the, some of these things are true. Maybe there is some hint of truth there, but it's been, it's been embellished for sure. So know that that happens, right? Know that that happens. There are other ways to go about finding a reputable rescue than Facebook or Instagram or whatever. There are, um, you can contact, uh, contact, Find out who the rescue's veterinarian is and contact them and ask them about their working experience with the rescue. Would they recommend adopting a dog from there? That's a great way to go. Um, you can contact the local humane officer or dog warden in the area and ask them about the rescue. Ask if there's been any incidents or, you know, if they know of the rescue, would they recommend adopting a dog from there? Um, and if you, you know you don't want to do that, there's there's third party uh, websites online. Uh, one is fantastic. It's called GuideStar.com. Now the caveat here is the um, not, the dog rescue has to sign up 
for these third-party websites. Um, so you, you might not be able to find their their information there, which still doesn't make them a bad rescue. But it is good uh, for rescues to be listed on these these third-party websites. So we are listed on uh, one called GuideStar.org. And again, it's third-party. And somebody can go on there and give their testimony about Woody's Place. But they have to say who they are and how they're affiliated. They can't leave it anonymous. They have to say who they are and how they're affiliated. And they have to go through, it's a pretty decent process just to be able to like leave a, a testimony. Um, so when I say who they are, like they have to say, I'm a volunteer, I'm a donator, a donor, I'm a, I'm a board member. They have to say how they're affiliated. And I mean, I've gone on there and I know who the people are leaving these reviews because I recognize their name and how they're how they're affiliated with us. Now that's not to say that somebody might not sneak on there and, you know, do something seedy, but it hasn't I it hasn't happened to us and we've been on there a really long time. So guidestar.org, that's another way to check and make sure that the uh, rescue is reputable. Um and there are other websites that you can go on, even the Better Business Bureau. Um, but definitely check and make sure that they're registered with your state. They should be. if uh, Even if they're a private rescue, they should be registered with your state. All right, folks. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to include a little graphic, um, little, um, some little graphic or whatever, to make sure that these tips um, are visible for you and easily comprehensible for you um, in the event that you're looking for a reputable rescue organization. Um, you have this information to go by. And uh, you can always contact us at Woody's Place if they're here in Pennsylvania or New York or Northern Jersey. And, you know, we we might be able to give you a reference, too. We are always, always, always about helping our colleagues in rescue. Um, I've often said this before. Uh, I've seen people come into the rescue world and they view it as a competition. It is not a competition. We should all be here supporting one another. Uh, this is another reason why I decided to, you know, talk a little bit about factors that may hinder um, a rescue from successfully finding homes for their dogs. I understand, you know, that many people have their experiences. Like I said, most are positive, some are negative, neutral, mixed, and you have your reasons for giving those reviews. I, I get that, but I, I wanted to um, just elaborate a little bit on what it's like to be the rescue on the other side and uh, reasons for um, <clears throat> why something may have gone down the way that it was, just to, just to give you a better understanding. Again, May not may not be what happened at all, but I'm just trying to help out my fellow rescuers. All right, folks, until next time, be well.